Greetings to the brightest audience in the country, and welcome to Theology Thursday. I'm Nicole McBurney. Every weekday, we bring you the news of the day, the culture, and science from a Christian worldview. But today, join me and Pastor Bob Enyart as we explore the source of our Christian worldview, the Bible. Please open to Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Colossians 1, 23. I think we'll finish Colossians chapter 1 with this study. It's been the eternal chapter. It's been a lot of fun. Colossians 1, 23. In verse 22, the Apostle Paul said that because of Christ's death, that God would present us holy and blameless which is guaranteed. If we believe, we'll be holy and blameless. And even we will be presented above reproach in His sight. That is, He will not withhold from us the rewards of godliness if, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. The gospel was preached to every creature under heaven? How could Paul say that the gospel was preached to every creature? The vast majority of people alive, when he wrote that, had not even heard the name of Jesus. Well, there's a clue in that phrase which points us in the right direction as to what does he mean. Paul did not say that it was preached to every creature, that is, to every person in the world, but to every person under heaven. Under heaven is the clue as to what he means by that phrase. In Romans 10, he says really the exact opposite of what he just said here. In Romans 10, he laments the sad state of affairs in that so many people in the world do not believe in Jesus, for he writes, how can they believe in him whom they have not heard? So in Colossians 1, he's saying the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven. And in Romans 10, he said the unbelievers, of course they don't believe in Jesus, they haven't even heard of him. So that appears to be a contradiction, and we'll look at that. And quite often when you look at something that seems to be a contradiction, you learn so much, and it's so exciting. Back in Romans, Paul wrote, How shall the lost believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Well, in that chapter, it's Romans chapter 10, he pulls a verse, a quote from Psalm 19, verse 4. And in order to understand Paul's thinking on this topic, of who's heard the gospel, how could they have heard, we need to discuss Psalm 19. So if you'd like, please turn back to Psalm 19. It's a very short psalm, and it has two halves. The first half describes the solar system and the universe, and the second half describes God's word. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. Psalm 19, the first half is about astronomy, And the second half is about the Word. But what makes Psalm 19 especially fascinating is that the first half describes astronomy using literary terms, speaking and writing and hearing and voices. 
The second half describes God's word using astronomical terms. So the first half is about astronomy using literary terms. And the second half is about the word using astronomical terms. And just as Psalm 19 does not have two authors, but one who interrelates God's two creations, the world and the word, so also the Bible and the creation have the same author. 400 years ago, the great scientist Galileo, he wrote a letter on December 21st, 1613 to Benedetto Castelli. And Benedetto is a scientist who specialized in the physics of fluids. In that letter, Galileo wrote this. He wrote, Holy Scripture and nature. So he's talking about the Bible and creation. Holy Scripture and nature both emanate from the divine word. The former, the Bible, dictated by the Holy Spirit, and the latter, the execution of God's commands. So that's Galileo. That's pretty neat. Now, I don't know. I haven't seen enough of his writing, although some of it is extremely strong in its Christian sentiments. Extremely so. But I haven't read enough to be confident that I could say he was definitely a Christian. He might have been a scientist who was an unbeliever, but heavily Christianized. Growing up in a Christian society, going to church, getting a lot of authority to do his work and finances through Christianized sources. So I don't know if Galileo was a Christian. He wrote a number of things that really make him sound like he was, but he could have been just mimicking the Christian or the Christianized culture around him. Now, other great scientists like Copernicus, Kepler, and Newton, Isaac Newton, they were clearly committed to their belief in Christianity very strongly. And Galileo may have also been, but I'm just not sure. Now, let's say he was a a Christianized scientist, but not really a Christian. What would that be like? Well, he would have been like a man that some of us at this church met a while back, a professor of physics at the Colorado School of Mines in Golden, Colorado. In fact, we met him at his church, the United Methodist Church of Golden, which is right near the Coors Brewing Facility. And he was speaking about God and science. And so some of us went there because we were somewhat surprised that a United Methodist Church would actually talk about God. So we thought, well, this would be interesting. And sure enough, his God was evolution and the Big Bang. And, you know, he didn't believe in the Bible as the literal word of God. So I sparred with him and we really had a good time. It was very instructive, very enjoyable for our group. But that professor, he's not a Christian in the born-again sense of the term, which is the sense that matters eternally. But he was a Christian in name, but not in love of God. But even his twisted Christianity gave him an advantage 
that many who've grown up, let's say in China or India, an advantage they would not have because Christianity teaches that the universe is real. Whereas much Eastern thought in Buddhism and Hinduism presents the universe as an illusion. So if he's to become a very successful physicist, from a young age, he has a great advantage growing up in a Christian household versus a home filled with Eastern mysticism because he grows up from a young kid believing that the universe is real. And if it's real, then you could study it and it should make sense. If it's an illusion, if it's Maya, well then, how could you really study it? What's the value in that? Now, that's all a bit of a detour since I only want to quote Galileo's comment that the Bible and nature both come from God, Scripture dictated by the Holy Spirit, and nature flowing from God's commands. Well, the Bible, this book that we study, the Bible is referred to by Christians as special revelation as opposed to general revelation. Special revelation is when God communicates to man in actual words and sentences. If God says that I am love or I want to forgive those of you who sinned against me, that's special revelation. It's communication with words and sentences. Nature, on the other hand, is called general revelation, communicating in stubborn facts and inherent properties. Both nature and the Bible speak unambiguously about the Creator. Both speak in a very powerful way. People who had never seen the Bible, people who lived before the Bible was written, had every reason to believe that a Creator God existed because all they had to do was to look at the creation. So both nature and the Bible speak about God. And not all men have had access to the Bible. So how about those, whether they've lived in the past or lived today, how about those who have never read the Bible, never even heard of it? Has God left them without a witness so that when they die, they didn't believe in Jesus, tough luck, they're off to hell forever. Well, they never even heard. The Bible says that God holds men accountable for what they have heard, for the knowledge that has been revealed to them. So those who live today in Bangladesh or the ancient inhabitants of Tibet, what revelation do they have of God? Well, the Bible answers that question in different ways, in different parts of the Bible, but Psalm 19 addresses that subject very directly. And it ties in to what Paul's saying in Colossians 1, that everyone has heard the gospel. It's been preached to everyone under heaven. And in, in Romans 10, when he says, how can they believe they haven't even heard of Jesus? So Psalm 19 is a cornerstone of understanding that topic. So let's look at it to better understand Paul's comment. We'll read just the first few verses, starting with Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens 
declare the glory of God. And if you'll notice, we'll only read the part of the psalm that's about astronomy. But Psalm 19 is the two halves. The first half about astronomy in linguistic terms. And the second half about the word of God in astronomical terms. Sometimes you have to look at the Hebrew to see how to see how strong that is. But the heavens declare, that's a linguistic term, the glory of God. And the firmament, that's the sky, shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Notice that's linguistic. And night unto night reveals knowledge. Like as the sun moves across the sky during the day and the stars come out at night in the moon, that utters speech. It reveals knowledge. What kind of knowledge does it reveal? That there's a creator. Someone had to make all this. They could not have come into existence on their own. Verse 3. There is no speech. Notice how linguistic this is. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The author of Psalm 19, he doesn't say where their light is not seen. He says where their voice is not heard as though the stars declared a linguistic message. But of course they do declare a message for ideas are communicated in language. When you think a thought in your mind, you think in terms of words and ideas are formed in our minds linguistically. Jesus Christ eternally existed as the picture of God. No, He eternally existed as the Word of God. The Word of God. And then at one point in time, God created a form, an image for Him to indwell. But God is fundamentally a linguistic God. He relates and He expresses Himself in words, ideas, sentences. So Jesus is described as the Word of God. And humans, he made us, and we are wired for language. When kids are young, they can learn how many languages? Effortlessly. If you grow up in Europe and you live in northern Italy and there's Switzerland and maybe you learn Austrian and Switzerland and Italian, all just by accident, just by being there. Doug and Takako are teaching Nicole Japanese and English. Doug, is she learning both? Yeah, her Japanese is better than mine. Her Japanese is better than yours. How old is Nicole? Two. She's two. Does she struggle? <laughs> no, it's natural. God made us. We're wired for language. We found out in South America in a home for deaf children that the administrators of this home were over a hundred kids. They parents have deaf kids and, you know, sadly not they they don't they're not as aware as they should be and so they let this institution help raise their kids since they're deaf we can't do it well that's tragic but that's what they've done and the administrators of this institution for deaf children find out that even the young children developed sophisticated extensions of sign language on their own all these kids growing up together and they They communicate like nobody's business. Having been created by God, 
and born ready to communicate in words and ideas, it doesn't matter that they can't hear. They're ready to communicate. And they talk with their hands. Now back to the verse here in Psalm 19. Every culture in the world lives with the stars overhead. And no one is without the general revelation of the creation which God has given to every man. Verse 4, their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tabernacle for the sun. Their words have gone to the end of the world. What words? It's just light from the stars. But the message that there is a creator, their line has gone out. What does that mean, their line? Why doesn't it just say their light? Well, because the author is explaining that the stars tell a story and their light is like a line of a story. Now, please turn to Romans 10, where we get more of this picture. Romans chapter 10. And while you turn to Romans 10, I'll back up and quote from Moses back in Genesis and then Deuteronomy. When Moses is writing about creation in Genesis 1, he wrote, God said, let there be lights in the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So God said right off the bat, I'm going to make these lights in the heavens and they're going to be for signs. Well, they're for seasons too. And they're for days and years for the calendar. But the first thing he says is, therefore, signs. Well, what signs are the stars in the heavens? Well, they tell us a lot about God and even the gospel message. We're not going to get into that aspect of it, but I do want to let you know we have a video called The Planets, the Stars, and the Bible, which is really neat. And E.W. Bullinger wrote a book on the Bible and astronomy called The Witness of the Stars. And there's so much that God has communicated to mankind through the stars, even specific things. But right now, in this study, we're just speaking generally. When much of the ancient world worshipped the heavenly bodies, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 4, he was quoting God, and he wrote, Do not lift your eyes to heaven when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars and feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. So from 3,500 years ago, God said to the Israelites, don't worship the stars. And before that, when he created, he made them for lights, not as gods. So let the lights in the heavens be for lights and for signs, but don't worship them as gods. Now, last week, there was a brilliant full moon which appeared in the sky above Denver. It was mostly a clear night. And it was Saturday night after we put the kids to bed. Cheryl and I sat on our backyard patio. Beautiful evening. And we were looking through our family telescope, a little red bulbous type of telescope, a real good beginner one. 
And we were looking at the moon and its appearance alone inspires awe. And all the more we know about the moon causes us to be even more amazed at God. When we compare the moon to the sun, the moon, God made it 400 times smaller than the sun. And in that same proportion, 400 times closer than the sun. Light leaves the sun and it takes a light beam over eight minutes to get here from the sun. But then it bounces off the moon and it hits our eyes in less than two seconds. So over eight minutes to get from the sun to the moon and less than two seconds to get from the moon to our eyes. And in that is this perfect ratio which enables the moon to completely cover the sun so we could have a perfect eclipse because the sun is 400 times bigger and exactly 400 times further away. I'm saying exactly the ratio is the same in size and distance. Well, a quarter of a million miles away, the moon is. And if it were much closer, the moon causes the tides. And the tides, if the moon was much closer, they'd be so powerful, they would wipe out land animals because they would cause daily tidal waves. On the other hand, if the moon were a little further away, maybe the light would take, say, one and a half seconds to get us. It was a little further away than it is then its gravitational pull on the oceans would be weaker and the tides could stop altogether and the ocean would not have its oxygen and then the plankton would die and then the whole food chain would die and the fish and maybe even all of life on earth without the plankton in the oceans to produce oxygen. So it was awesome spending time just looking at the moon this powerful evidence of God's loving care for mankind, which God used to support life on earth. But Cheryl and I, we were talking about the ancients, the men who lived centuries, millennia ago, and what they must have felt and thought about the moon. It has an awesome presence as it rises in the dark sky And it crosses the night as though it were looking down on the deeds that men do in the dark, as though it's spying on us, that face in the moon. And millions have done the most despicable things by worshiping this rock, this dead created rock, rather than worshiping the living creator God. So in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 Let's get to Paul's point that the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven. Beginning with Romans 10, 13, he wrote, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So this is what at first seems to contradict what Paul said to the Colossians, that the gospel was preached to everyone under heaven. Since he's bemoaning here, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? They haven't even heard of Jesus. But let's continue in Romans 10, verse 15. And how shall they, the preachers, how shall they preach unless they are sent? 
that is, unless they are funded. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Now, if we were a weird church, well, I guess we are a weird church, but if we were a tad bit weirder, we could take pictures of people's feet and put them in the church directory and say, look at these beautiful feet we have here at Denver Bible Church. Because we share the gospel with the world as best we can. And many people have come to the Lord, even from our small church, all the people we've reached. Verse 16, But they, the unbelievers, have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? That is, men do reject the gospel. And verse 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by the word. And there's that word again, the word of God. And this is where Paul quotes Psalm 19, verse 4, in Romans 10, verse 18. But I say, have they, the unbelievers, I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. That is, speaking of the stars in the heavens, which are for signs, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Their sound, their words, that is, their message. What is the message of the sun, moon, planets, and stars? Well, their message is that of creation, that there must be a creator who made us. And God holds people accountable, not for what they have never heard, but for what they have heard, and then reject. This verse 18, it's so neat. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, they have too heard. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So all the world has the general revelation of creation, which clearly shows, as Paul teaches in Romans chapter 1, the creation clearly shows that there is the evidence for the existence of the eternal, powerful, personal creator. That's what the general revelation shows everyone in the world. So now let's go back to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, verse 23. Colossians 1, 23 ends, the end of the verse, speaking of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, that is, by the stars, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul became a minister of the gospel which God proclaimed to Abraham in Genesis 15, the gospel of grace, where you're saved by faith alone. Now, I just don't want to pass this up. Let's turn back to Genesis 15. It's too exciting not to note. Now, some Christians who believe like we do, they're dispensationalists. In fact, they're even mid-Acts dispensationalists where they believe that the body of Christ started when God cast away Israel and grafted in the Gentiles in the body of Christ when the Apostle Paul got saved on the road to Damascus. That's called mid-Acts dispensationalist. And 
Christians who believe like us, they get confused over this verse, some of them, because they stress so much that God gave the gospel of grace to Paul, which he did. And so they think, well, how could the stars have preached the gospel to all the creatures of the world if it wasn't even known until Paul? Because they quote verses where Paul says the gospel had been kept a secret, a mystery. It was an unsearchable mystery. So they wonder, how could the gospel have been preached to every creature when it was first preached by Paul? What's with that? But Paul himself writes in Romans 4 that God had given to Abraham the gospel of grace. Before God told Abraham to get circumcised, before he gave him the covenant of circumcision, he had first given him the gospel of grace, where Abraham was saved by faith alone.